The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. With me, as always, my co-host, Matt Keogh. Matt, say hello to everybody. Hello. (laughs) Matt's a man of many words over there. Uh, I'm Coach Larry, and today we've got uh, an extra special guest, um, an old, 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 I'm really dating myself, old all kinds of old over here, Tice. An old uh, childhood friend of mine, um, Christopher Matice. I don't know if I've ever called you Christopher before in my life. I don't know, man. <laughs> First time for everything. <laughs> but Tice, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Um, how's it going? Good, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. I know we've been trying to connect for a couple weeks, and it's uh, I was glad, say, it, glad it worked out. Definitely a man that's busy over there, so glad uh, glad we could get you in. And um, before we get into everything, I'm going to come in hot, and I'm coming in hot a little ticked off today. World Cup, I love watching World Cup soccer, but man, Italy, really, now you're in a playoff. You you couldn't qualify by A, you had a chance to uh, finish the game. Jorginho missed on a penalty shot against Switzerland, could have wrapped things up there. Then you couldn't beat Northern Ireland. All you had to do was beat Northern Ireland. Ireland, you 0-0 draw them, so now you finish behind Switzerland, and you have to go into a qualifying playoff game to get into the World Cup. You messed up my World Cup four years ago by not qualifying. I'm going to be livid if you can't qualify for this one. You just won the Euro Cup a couple months ago. Come on, get it together. So hold on, that that's... Just not even the entire country of Ireland, just the northern part? Just Northern Ireland. I mean, I'm more of an American football guy, but that sounds like it doesn't make sense. That's like saying, you know, you couldn't, that's like when LaSalle and Niagara Falls, like we split up Niagara Falls and you couldn't even beat like LaSalle. Terrible. So I'm I'm coming in hot. I'm aggravated. That just, that, I just messed my whole day up yesterday. Just not happy about that, that loss to Northern Ireland. Um, any of you guys, anything bugging you guys, a little coming in hot for you guys today? Not really. Matt's just, Matt's just easy going. Matt's like, nothing bothers me. Oh, like, people, I'm good. Things bother me, but today nothing's bothered me so far. Yeah, today's been a decent day. Nobody's, nobody's really angered me today yet. No, nobody's angered. Um, nobody made you jump in any pools. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how the Sabres play tonight, though. Then that might anger me. Yeah. You know what? That could be a coming in hot. They're hey, with six, six and two. Is that the record? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. this but, far into the season, I didn't think they'd be anywhere near five hundred. Yeah, I'll take that. But Season's I mean, that five game young. losing streak uh, kind of leveled that, leveled them back yeah. off. That, that that brought them back to earth a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. See how it goes being a Sabres fan. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Jack Eichel already having his surgery, already back on the mend. Really? He already had his surgery? He had the surgery. It took him like all but, what, a week yeah. of being in Las Vegas to get the surgery? Oh, well, they can have him. I don't want him. Yeah. Eh, 
I'll probably want him in about four months when he's, when he's scoring when he's, every day. When he yeah. when he comes back in February or March and I'm he's had like game. ten games, that's gonna be toxic. <sighs> yeah, that environment's gonna be rough. Yeah, it's interesting. I love how the, the Sabers are already even after the trade. They've already the you know thanks for the memories, Jack. Thanks for all that you did. Like, Was it really a lot us? of memories? I mean, six, five years, six years of no playoffs. Yeah. Of. Mm, Thanks it, for all the wasted thank, money. Thanks for the time. memories. Yeah, I, 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 now, what's your guys' take on his whole scenario? Did you do you agree with the Sabers in not letting him get the surgery and wanting them to do things his way? Do you do you feel bad for Jack? Do you think he tried to make it work? Well, I mean, first of all, it was in his contract that the Sabers had the right to refuse surgery. So, you're paying a guy ten million dollars. Uh, he he signed an agreement that he would agree with. Uh, you know the, you know the doctors and the staff for the team that he's getting paid by. Uh, he disagreed and refused to to pay or, or get the other sur- play, uh, play or get the other surgery. So, yeah. um, I mean, I could understand. You know the whole. You want to protect your investment yeah, type of deal, and it's his body, and he can do whatever surgery he wants. And you know the argument. There's arguments on both sides because it is the 21st century and. You yeah, shouldn't have to get you know fused together if there's other options. But yeah, and I mean, I, I, I agree. I think the Sabers, you know, you, you definitely you're paying a guy ten million a year. You want to make sure that he's going in the absolute safest route. But their whole argument about well, it's a newer surgery. It could be risky. I mean, disc fusion fusion surgery was a new surgery what five ten years ago, and now it's the norm. I mean, it's it's proven safe. The other one has been, uh, it's it's newer, yes, but there's a lot of doctors, a lot of science behind it. They've been there's been a lot of success behind it. Um, I mean, you definitely don't want any of your players, you know, getting a neck injury like that, where you have to go through any kind of fusion or neck surgery. But I thought just the it seemed like that was at least the only argument that they made public was, well, it's new, it's you know, not totally proven, but I don't know. I thought it was just if they had more of an argument against it, I thought they could have done a better job of saying, hey, this is why we don't want it. We've seen multiple failures, something like that. Yeah, and clearly other other teams and other doctors were okay with it. I think that the Sabres weren't open-minded, um, ended up coming back to kind of bite them when uh, yeah. they, they took a hard line on it and – and he was literally, it was an in and out surgery. Like he, there was no spending a night in the hospital. He was, it was in and out procedure. I think that he, the whole uh, procedure took less than five hours. I mean, oh, he wow. was in, out, done. He's recovering. They, there's reports that they anticipate him back on the ice between February and March. Get out of here. So <laughs> what, we're not even getting to what until, uh, or tuck until January. Yeah. If we're lucky. <laughs> if we're lucky, which I think is going to be a good player, yeah. um, I'm not sure about this. Uh, is it Krebs? Krebs? Krebs. Krebs. Um, again, everything I hear about him, nice young prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, he's down in Rochester. Which, if he was that young of a prospect on this team, I mean, you'd like to think why he'd at least be up with the club now. Yeah. Because um, wasn't he? He was up playing around with Vegas too, yeah, wasn't he? He was up with Vegas all year before and, the trade. Yeah, and Vegas is a good team, so. 
I don't know. Maybe it goes to the toxic environment. You don't want them in a losing locker room. I, I, I don't know. I think the Amherst are down there winning, though, so maybe they want to give them some, uh, you know, ease, ease his way into Buffalo. Ease his way into Buffalo, which, <laughs> uh, you know, at that point, shouldn't he get, like, a welcoming basket, like, of chicken wings or, or hot sauce? Or I'm sure he got some of those, too. <laughs> Probably. But, all right, so, Tice, we're here to talk to you about uh, many things. Um but running, like okay. not only just running, like marathon running. Um, I know you just came back from the New York City Marathon, which was huge. I did. Um, it always, like, why running? <laughs> like it's it, and and not that I'm not that I'm mocking because I think it's cool as yeah. as anything. Um, I mean, I know I did cross country in seventh grade, and that was it. Um, then I got more into soccer, but. Um, just like what got you into just running itself? Forget the whole marathon aspect, mm-hmm. but like what got you actually involved? Because I know even now you're like a really you know you're you're yeah. all gung ho about it. Like what got you into running today? <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I guess you know I, to be honest, uh, before 2014, running was just uh, a nuisance to me. Right? I mean, I, <laughs> I would baseball, I would run the field. Tennis, I'd run the court, but uh, I never just went out for a run unless unless I was told to. Um, and but, even then, sometimes he would skip out yeah, of those runs. Yeah, I know. I used to just like to run around with my tennis hoodie sometimes. <laughs> but uh, no, I you know what? I, I was uh, I was just sitting there, and um, I remember like tying my shoes, and it was uncomfortable. And I, I stepped on the scale, and I was at the very highest weight I had ever been. And uh, I decided to go join a gym, take a year off of work and concentrate on losing some weight. And uh, in the gym, I, you know, slowly started doing some cardio. And then uh, before I knew it, I was on the treadmill for an hour a day. And then I'm like, you know what, maybe I should run a 5k. I can, I can do that on the treadmill now. And uh, I went out and I did a, I was, you know, I took a look to see what 5k I could do. And there was one for autism awareness in in Hamburg went out and I did that. And there were so many people and it was very encouraging and the atmosphere was great. Everybody was just happy to be there and it was for a charity and, uh, I kind of fell in love. So, I mean, I, I went, I didn't, I wouldn't have considered myself a runner at that point. I was just kind of, you know, doing it to, to lose weight and exercise. And, and then, uh, but after that 5k, I, I went directly to a shoe store and got fitted and got a pair of shoes and, and the rest was history. Yeah, yeah, buddy. I love it. So now you got. Um, it sounds like you got what's that? That the runner high, the runner's high that people are talking about. Like you just you know <laughs> kind of caught the bug and. Yeah, you you get the runner's high sometimes. You know, to me, I'm still trying to decide whether I I'm lightheaded in that point, <laughs> but. Sometimes you get in the zone and you can you feel pretty good when you're out there and then the time just passes and next thing you know there's another mile and another mile and but yeah it's 5k and then uh I thought those started getting pretty easy so I went to a 10k and then then I signed up for a half marathon and here I am what 6 years 6 7 years later and uh now I have 40 half marathons and just completed my fourth full marathon wow when you made that when you made that jump up like I know uh my wife Vicky did a half marathon a number of years ago when you make that jump up from the 5k to the 10k to the half marathon like mm-hmm. was it something that you were nervous about was it something that you're like 
all right, this is, you know, I've done, like you said, you've done a bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks before. A half, it, it's no big deal. Like we're, when you make that, that big jump up to the half marathon, even the marathon, yep. is it something that you're, wow, this is nuts. Why am I doing this? Or oh, I got this, no problem. You know what? It's kind of all relative. It's, it's, it's kind of funny because now I think back of it. My first half marathon was the Mighty Niagara Half Marathon. That's what my wife, Sicky was first. Nice. That's a great first half it really marathon. Is. It's a great course. And, and uh, Paul Beatty that, that runs Race Management Solutions. <laughs> great race director it's a it's just a, a lot of good a lot of good uh going on there plus it's for hospice and another good cause um but yeah you know i i had uh i figured it was time to to give it a shot and uh i do remember that i put myself together a 12-week training plan you know it's uh you could find training plans that that if you're comfortable running three to five miles if you follow it it's kind of kind of fairly easy you know you run a couple times a week you increase your long runs on the weekend and then next thing you know you're you're ready for it but it was it was terrifying I remember the night before um you know laying out all my clothes you know I've got you know my my energy gels and I've got my shoes there waiting and you know just I even had a backpack with water in it, which is funny because I don't do any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> you know, I can I can sign up the night before for for a half and be digging in my closet trying to find, you know, clothes that don't look dumb on me. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's really funny how you, you you stop thinking about that kind of stuff because uh, you know that was just in that was just six years ago, and since then, like I said, I've done another thirty nine of them. You know, I. I've done, I don't know, I think six of them this year already. And uh, I, uh, 2020, I did 13 just in the just in the year. And, that's um, insane. But, you know, going to the full marathon from the half marathon, that's that's a bigger story. I did, I did uh, my first in 26. I did my first marathon. I did the Buffalo Marathon. Um, and that's another another great one uh, for people to try to do their first uh you know, that's it's run very well. There's a lot of people, great festivities. Uh, Rich Clark's the operation director. I don't know, Rich is a teacher in the Niagara Falls School District. So uh, mm. great guy, uh, great company. But, uh, you know, that one, you know, I set up a 16-week training, but uh, nothing can really prepare you for marathon training. You, you get beat up pretty good. Um, you're running three, four times a week, plus your long runs. But then, you know, once you get past, you know, 10, 12, 13 miles, because in a half training, you're only the training, you end at 10 miles, and then you're just able to just go out there and do it. But, you know, the full training, all of a sudden, you're doing a 14 and a 16 and an 18 and a 20 miler. And these these things aren't aren't too kind on your body sometimes. No, absolutely. Especially if you're not ready. And and then it's terrifying because you're like, well, you know, I only have to max out at 20 miles. What am I going to do for this last 10K? That just seems didn't seem right. But, um, you know, I was really bad at my first marathon. So, um, <laughs> you know, you just kind of you just kind of learn and, and keep going. But it's there's nothing like it. Um, it's challenging. You know, it's challenging on your mind. It's challenging on your body, and it's and it's a real accomplishment when you get it done, even if you feel like you did terrible. Absolutely, and and that's what I feel like too. A lot of people don't realize just how much of a mental 
thing running is. Oh yeah. Like I mean, I can only imagine. Um, I mean, the longest I've the longest race I've ever done was I've done a couple five Ks. Um, I did one ten uh, K, but I remember even uh, talking to my wife. You know, when she was getting ready for um, her uh, the first half marathon, the Mighty Niagara. Um, just you get to a point. She was even saying those last those last mile, that last half mile. You're just. She said, you, you just get to a point where you're like, oh, my God, is this ever going to finish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. You know, my, my calves hurt. My quads hurt. Every, like, you're just, you're, like you said, it just beats your body down. Um, and at that point, it, it for me, it seemed like even for her, it just, it turned in more of a, it's just like a gut check time. It's just mm-hmm. like your mental, like, I'm I'm not giving up. Yeah. Well, y- your body and mind have to meet together somewhere and, and figure it out. It's uh you know it's even even a half marathon it's not it's not terrible because even if you're not having a good day you're out of there in two and a half three hours. Um, marathon's a different story. Yeah, you know you get you you go into it thinking that you're going to be on your feet moving for a good four to six hours, and you know that's kind of kind of draining. Um, just to just to think of daunting a little bit. Um, but uh, it makes it all more worth it, and you know I've I've run races where I wasn't prepared, and I've run races where I was prepared, and you know both have their challenges. I was gonna say, do you remember those races where, uh, whether it was half marathon, marathon, where you thought like, I think I'm prepared, but not really, and then do you notice like the difference of when you're, yeah, I'm on my game, or uh, I'm kind of not on my game. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, 2016, I did my first marathon, Buffalo, um, in like true Buffalo fashion. When I did my 20 miler three weeks before the marathon, uh, it sleeted and and it frozen rained and it snowed and it was so cold that my phone turned off. Um, I had to stop and. Joey's Pizza on on Buffalo Avenue with my phone charger, and I'm like, listen, it's, if if my tracker isn't working on my phone, these miles don't really count. So <laughs> let me plug in for a minute and finish my run. So I I took off my glove. I sacrificed my glove to keep my phone warm, just so the phone would stay on. Oh my gosh. Then you fast forward three weeks later. This is a true story. Three weeks later, Buffalo broke a record for, for heat that day. It was 86.6 degrees. So I felt, I felt great. I, I went out and I hit the pace I wanted to on my, long, my last long run. I enter this race. It's 80, it's like 80 degrees already at the start at like 7 in the morning. And it gets up to, like I said, almost 90 degrees. People are passing out. They've got, they've got people with hoses and, and sprinklers all over the course. And, you know, I hit a wall around mile 15. My eyes almost blacked out in mile 20. And the last couple miles I had to walk. And my walking pace was, was like a 20-minute walking pace because I could barely keep, keep going. Um, so that was miserable. But then, you know, like my experience in New York just recently, I went out and the weather was perfect. And uh, I'd recently lost about 20 pounds. So I was running a lot lighter on my feet. And uh, the crowd was incredible. The course was incredible. And I didn't even have to, to walk until mile 18 when I just felt like I should should grab some Gatorade and take it easy for a couple minutes before I continued on. But 
I, you know, the difference in timing, right? Six hours and 20 minutes it took me on my first marathon, and this one took me four hours and 38 minutes. So that's nice. There's a lot of things, but yeah, I definitely know the difference between feeling good and feeling terrible out on the course. (laughs) Now, you mentioned weather. Is there like a certain um, type of weather you like to play in? Like, I know for art, playing, running. I know for me, for soccer, I was actually, I loved the hotter weather, like when it was 85, 90, um, playing in a tournament or in a game. I I preferred just running in the hotter weather. When it got too cold, you know, um, you know, down to the 50s, 60s, not that that's really cold, cold, but Mm -hmm. that's when I noticed for me it was, you know, you could feel the, just the bumps, the bruises, everything, you know, it wasn't as enjoyable. Was it, is there like a, a weather that you feel more comfortable running in? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's uh, it wasn't until a few years ago that I started running all year. I used to just a couple of years ago. I would my first race of the year would be uh, Shamrock Run in March, and my last one would be Turkey Trot in November. And I would just kind of hang them up and hit the treadmill at the gym, you know, a couple times a week in 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 those months. But now running is is all year, all you know, in nighttime. I've got glowing vests. You got warm weather, cold weather gear, but uh, the sweet spot for me is I like to run in shorts and a long sleeve tech shirt and, you know, maybe some gloves. So like 40, 45. So you're more of the colder, the colder weather. Well, I think that's, I think that's crisp, perfect crisp. weather. That's, it's perfect. Yeah, so like 40, crisp. 45. I think the marathon uh, that I just did was about 50. The weather was great, but um, it was, yeah. 45 and some tailwind would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, was there a lot of wind at the New York City one or not really? No, which was uh, really nice because when I was standing around for hours, it was windy. Um, the bridges, uh, there's there's four bridges. Uh, the bridges had some wind on it a little bit. Um, but for the most part, I didn't feel elements like at all. Um, really? No, I wore my gloves for a couple miles and then put them in my pocket and... Uh, yeah, I just had a uh, like a headband, long sleeve shirt, and shorts on, and uh, the I didn't feel any elements. And if uh, if there was wind out there, I just uh, I didn't feel it. Sweet. Yeah, got pretty lucky. Nice. Now, was it? Um, what made you get into the New York City Marathon? Like that's like sure. that's one of the top. What there's there's. Top six. There's six world marathons. Yep, this, and that's one of them. Yep the the Abbott World Major Marathons. There's uh, Boston, of course. Everybody hears about all the time, but it's uh, you know New York and Chicago, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, London, Berlin, and Tokyo. So okay. these these are the top of the top. You know, Olympians. Elite, yeah, these are where uh, everybody goes. Elites, thousands and thousands of people. New York City marathons usually the biggest. It's like fifty four thousand people. And you have to qualify, right? You can't just. It's not like I can just say, "Hey, I want to run New York City." You've got to. You've got to actually qualify for the marathons, right? So there's three different ways to get into a world major marathon. There is. Being super fast, which I am not, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's actually kind of ridiculous for a, a person that's 40 to 44. I believe the last time I checked, they would have to run a 306 or something like that full marathon, Ooh, which wow. is, I don't even know, six, seven minute pace. Uh, Matt, you can run that, right? Not for 
26.2, right? I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> you know, so, so qualifying is never going to be in my cards, right? Not even when I'm an old man if I'm still lucky enough to run. Uh, the second way to get in is a lottery system, and those are very, very difficult. New York being the most difficult to get in. I think it's something like one out of, I don't know, every 100,000 or 10, I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's astronomical. Uh, not, many, not many people that try to get in the lotto get in. And then the third, the third option is to run for a charity. They call it, you can get a charity bib. Okay. So, so the way that that works is uh, the organization works really hard with the race uh, to qualify. They have to, you know, be a very legit, um, longstanding charity. And they, they work directly with the race. The race agrees on X amount of race bibs that they will give to them. Um, so then what the, what the charity does is they will pay for the registration for, let's say, let's say, uh, uh, an organization gets 25 for New York city. The, the charity would turn around and say, okay, I'm going to pay the $300 registration fee for these 25 bibs. And the bibs are what you wear on your on your shirt when you run, in case anybody was wondering. Bibs are usually where, what I wear, you know, for during my meal. Or camping. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, they agree on that. And then the charity turns around and they have a process where they accept people to run for them. And they agree on a number that they have to raise. So for New York this time, um, I had to raise $3,500. Um, and then, you know, once I once I raise that or agree to raise that, then I'm able to to run for that organization. But how I started trying to get into these world majors is, um, you know, in 2018, I finally decided to after the debacle of the 2016 marathon, I decided to 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 give it another shot, and um, I actually had done that same Hamburg. Uh, 5k for autism and i put a hashtag out there run for autism and then the next day i got a uh a a message on my facebook from an organization called the organization for autism research so they reached out to you then yeah they did which is which is kind of bizarre because i never thought about running a world major marathon but you know i was trying to contemplate on what i could do for like a redemption marathon try to get myself better and uh they reached out they said it's uh if you're interested we have we have quite a few opportunities for you to join the team you just got to raise a thousand dollars and you can come run chicago so i uh i gathered you know i put the word out to my local little running group and Nine of us ended up going to Chicago. We raised ten thousand dollars for autism, and and uh, we all ran successfully. Uh, me not as as well. <laughs> I uh, I suffered during training plantar fasciitis and Ooh. gained about twenty pounds, and so I was running fat. And I was gonna say and, that can an injury like that that can yeah. take you out for yeah. a while. Yeah, I was. I did not have a very good training plan, but I figured you know I could. I could go out there and give it my best, but uh, then then it rained the first eleven miles of the run, and uh, I could barely walk, and I was terrible again. So like my first, my second marathon, it was terrible. <laughs> oh, so 
Still, though, I mean, just to have your second actual marathon in, like you said, one of the top one of the top six in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really cool, and that's why when you know, organization for autism research reached out to me again, asking about New York. Um, this was actually before the pandemic, so uh, the race in 2020 got canceled. But uh, I, I was glad to do it, even though the money was high, and um, and it was uh, it worked out a lot better this time. I was gonna say it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, now I know you, one was the the Chicago one was before the pandemic in New York City one obviously after. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the what was the vibe of the Chicago one compared to New York? Like, t- uh, I mean, I know the runners community very tight in community. Yeah. But it was it a lot of the same vibe, or was did it both have its have its different feel? You know what? It, it, the, like I've always heard really really good things about Chicago. A group of my friends ran it again this year. Some of them that ran it in 2018, they ran it in 2021, and they said it was incredible. I, f- I feel like we got cheated a little bit in 2018 just because it was pouring for the first half of the race. So you know the the crowds weren't lining the streets quite like I guess they usually are. With New York, um, we did have to wear masks um, to start to start the race. Okay, but know, not while you were the, running in the corral. No, but once okay. when we were in the corral, we had to. Once we left the corral, we were able to take our masks off, um, and the city was absolute, absolutely insane. Uh, the amount of people, the the amount of police enforcement out there on the street. Um, there's. There was no other feeling I've ever had in my life other than how that how that went in, in New York. It was incredible. Oh, for sure. And then you went with the – did you go with any of the, the runners that you went with from Chicago or was it a no. totally different group? Yeah, no, there was – I didn't know a single other person running. Oh, you went by yourself. I did. Well, I, I had a couple friends uh, join. Okay. Um, but they, they – They weren't they, running though. They no, were no. I, I I ran by myself. Yeah, I kind of made a couple friends on the Staten Island ferry. I was gonna say I saw the the Facebook pictures and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, everything was uh, everything was a little different. Um, it was a lot different. Whereas uh, you know, for Chicago, it was intense. You know, you're sitting in the corral and there's thousands of people all over you. And at least then I was there with a couple friends that that I knew and started and ran like a mile or two before they ditched me because they were way faster. <laughs> um, but this time it was just me and me and the crowd. And uh, But I preferred this one. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like it. Yeah. Like I said, I know I've seen uh, your pictures on Facebook and your posts, and it just it really looked like a cool atmosphere. Yeah. Um, did you? I know in some of my uh, some of my five Ks, you know, you you I don't want to see you chat with people, but you kind of you know you, you 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 talk to people before the race, after the race, sometimes during the race. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, did you have like a core group that you kind of stayed with? Like I know Vicky, even during the Niagara, it was funny. She said there was always. Um, one woman who she would try to get ahead and then that woman would get ahead and she always knew she tried to stay with that woman and it was funny at the end of the race she would even say she like she said the same thing about Vicky she's like I just wanted to stay in front of you so they kind of oh, not not knowing each other but they were you know kind of pacing each other along mm-hmm. the way did you during the marathon did you find like a group of friends or not friends but a group of people that you kind of I'm going to pace off of this person so normally I would have an idea of of how I was going to go out there and do. I honestly had no idea. I, I 
people asked me, what are, you, what are you shooting for? I said, I just don't want to be swept on the course. I had no idea because I, you know, I had a, a bad ankle injury, which forced me to only have like a seven-week training, and I skipped, I skipped a, a one or two of my long runs, which is a no-no also. So I honestly didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into. So normally I would just pick a pacing group, right? Because in, in the corrals, they line up. They'd be like, this is the 430 pacer. They they hold a flag. And, you know, you can kind of decide that that's the pace you want to run at or five hours, whatever. But I just kind of went out slow my first mile because it was on the Verrazano Bridge, which basically is straight up and it doesn't come straight down. It just kind of levels <laughs> off. I'm sitting there and going up, 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 and and I'm, I'm yelling out. I was like, "Anybody know where the peak is in this thing?" <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, so I went out slow, and then um, I just started doing nine, ten minute between nine and ten minute miles. And I feel I said, "Well, I feel pretty good." And I just uh, decided to do as many of those in a row as I could. There was a few familiar faces that seemed about my pace until about mile eight that I remember. And then uh, then I just felt strong, man. And I just was, uh, you just, I just kind of started picking people off. Like, you know, if I, if I felt good, I would go faster and try to pass the next person that's by me. Um, so I didn't get a, I didn't get a, a major core group of people for very long, but, but uh, there was a lot of people out, out on the course that, that, you know, cheering you on. A good song came in my head and I'd, you know, I, I am a talker when I when I run. So you know, if I hear if I, there's a song on that's good, I'll just sing it out loud. I don't care if anybody has headphones or can hear me. <laughs> and you know, I'll, I'm the one that's cracking a joke if we hit mile three. I'm like twenty three more. You know, so I, I do a lot of that. People probably are annoyed by me. That's <laughs> eh, all good. <laughs> I was gonna say now, are, do they let you wear uh, headphones, earbuds, anything during during the running, or is it just yeah, no, you can you can wear headphones. Uh, to my to my knowledge, I think that mostly the ones that don't is you know uh, like trail running. Um, some of those trail race, tra- some trail races or ultra marathons like uh, like the Finger Lakes fifties. They don't they don't want you wearing headphones because there's a lot going on. You know the the trail can get muddy or narrow. So they don't want you distracted with music. Um, uh, triathlons are, are another one that don't want you to have um, headphones on the courses. But these big road races, they allow for it, which is which is needed because yeah. sometimes you just need to get get out of your own. Head. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's funny. And here's a you'll know this blast from the past. Ricky Garfalo. Oh, yeah. It's funny. He was. Uh, I only ran cross country uh, one year, but the year that I ran. Um, Garfalo could only run with like while listening to music. Okay. And he would run during practice with like these were back in the day. We didn't have earbuds, kids. You know, we had like the the, the Walkmans and stuff like so he would run, you know, with the music and he would run so much better, but obviously during a race you you're not allowed to wear that. Um so it was funny his his pace like during the races would probably be a good 30 seconds to a minute and a half slower because he's not listening to his music. He's not getting lost in his own, in his own space out there. So that um, now eventually, you know, uh, as the season progressed, uh, our coach, uh, Mr. Jacobs, you know, 
kind of picked up on that. It was like, you got to get used to running yeah. without music. So he kind of, he did the band from him. And uh, by the end of the year, you know, his times went to, you know, it started getting better and better. But it's just, it takes us back to that mindset where some people, they're running, but they need to, they need to be running kind of without realizing they're running almost. Mm-hmm. Like you need a little bit of an escape. Yeah, I, I definitely am one of those people. My uh, my headphones died because it was too cold one time in a half marathon and I fell apart. It died at mile four. Oh. And I'm like, how on earth am I going to go nine more miles? So I didn't. I stopped at a water stop and there was a bunch of high school kids. And I was like, does anybody have an iPhone charger in their car? I stopped for 11 minutes. <laughs> Just to get an iPhone charger? <laughs> to, to, to charge my phone enough. And then again, I sacrificed my glove. And um, <laughs> in that race, I ended up like 15 seconds short of my best time. <laughs> and I stopped for 11 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, it was. I would have been absolutely miserable out there for nine miles without my music. Now, is there anything, uh, you know, before we've talked uh, pregame rituals, is there any, like, pregame rituals that you do before marathons or that, whether it's the day before, the night of? Uh... Oh, yeah, a couple days leading up to a full marathon, you just constantly drink water. you got to get as hydrated and even more hydrated as you could possibly imagine. Um, I don't allow myself any alcoholic beverages the night before. Um, you know, except for in New York, I did have a couple uh, mimosas at brunch. Yeah, and, that's not alcohol. And that's a, like in a beer with my cousin. <laughs> ah, that doesn't count. And I think a, was it your cousin from Boston? <laughs> he was yeah, no, my cousin from from uh, from Queens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. But other than that, I mean, hydrate. You'd got to drink a lot, you know, the couple days leading up. Um, it's nice the night before to, you know, to get some carb loading in. Uh, you don't want to eat too late, but I, again, I disobeyed all that. I had a big old fat filet mignon and, and, uh, <laughs> Tyson's like, I'm making my own rules. <laughs> at like 10 o'clock at night in New York City the night before. Wait, you had a steak, like a big <laughs> steak dinner the night before at 10 yeah, at night. Yeah. Well, that was when my girlfriend and my friends showed up. Um, <laughs> we So dinner dinner didn't start until about 10, 1030. Um, but, but we gained an hour with the time change. So I was oh, like, so ah. it's like eating at nine. I was like, no. yeah, yeah. And then, and then my, my race didn't start until 11, even though I had to get up at like five 30 in the morning because the logistics were a nightmare. But, oh. um, yeah, I, it, you know, you try to carb load, you try to hydrate and, uh, in the morning, the second I wake up, usually I like to about four hours before I run, have a, a, a plain bagel, um, okay. and um, also or or a uh, Cliff Bar. So I did. I had a I had a plain bagel as soon as I woke up about six in the morning, and then about three hours when I was on the Staten Island ferry, <laughs> I had a uh, Cliff Bar, and then just keep drinking water until till the race start. And uh, I also do thirty minutes before, thirty to forty five minutes before, I have uh, like an Advocare. Uh, concoction of stuff that's good for your your blood and I don't know it's some kind of magic magic powder that turns into a drink that that I drink and it's probably all in my head but <laughs> I, I I do the same thing with it uh, before every every long run and uh, that's my yeah nice no and it's it I 
everybody's, no matter what the sport is, I feel like everybody has their own pregame ritual. Even sometimes if you don't realize it's a pregame ritual, you just think it back like, oh, yeah, I guess I always do yeah. do these same things. Sweet. Um, yeah, now, b- back in high school, you were big-time bowler. Big-time yeah. bowler. Uh, mm-hmm. Sectional, uh, qualified sectionals at sectionals for states. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, was that your senior year or junior Actually, year? Actually, that was my sophomore year. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah, I made sophomore. I made states as a sophomore as an individual. Um, my senior year, though, I bowled a 300 for Niagara Falls High School. I think it was the first one ever for... Uh, Niagara Falls High School bowler at the time, but now these kids all bowl three. I was going to say everybody out there is bowling. It's all from the Wii. It's yeah. all from the Wii. Yeah, yeah I did it. Right. I did it in match play, and you know, it got me to uh, to be able to go bowling college. But high school bowling was great. Yeah, nice. Matt, were you a big bowler or not? Was it was it Wii bowling? No, I mean I did like the bowling academy and stuff. So I'd always go after school and go bowling and stuff. Nice, but I mean. Nothing ever came of it. No, no high school bowling. I used to be actually really good. Like I'd have my, I got my own ball. That's how good I used to get. And then I just, all right, I just stopped. And now I do it for fun. The the old moonlight ball. Do they still have moonlight bowling? (laughs) Or is that a thing of the past? They do. They do. You know, I I retired a couple of years ago. (laughs) You retired from bowling? No more bowling. You know what? I I, a couple years ago, I I don't even remember what year it was. Now I went out there, and one of the last weeks of bowling, I went out and I bowled an eight sixty eight. Ended up being the highest set in the city for the year, and then and then the season ended a couple weeks later. The new season started. I had a team. I went in, and the first week I paid for my sanction fee for the year. You know, bought the team around the beers, got in all the jackpots, and uh, it was hot because it was the first week of September. I just remember being hot and miserable, and I was bowling well, but I wasn't scoring. And and halfway through the third game, I looked at my team and I just said, "Do you guys think you might be able to get somebody else?" <laughs> And uh, that's the last time I went bowling. So that was, I just, uh, I haven't done it, man. I, so you, you pulled a, who was that, Vontae Davis? Is yeah. that the, you pulled a Vontae Davis on your team? You're yeah. just like, that's, you know what, guys, I'm just not feeling it. You know, for family reasons, health reasons, yeah. I'm just not feeling it. You know what, I was, all I was thinking is, you know, I, I was bowling like two, three nights a week. And when I was bowling well, I was supposed to be bowling well. And if I bowled bad, it was just annoying. It took all the fun out of it. You know, the only good thing was the people I bowled with. And, uh, you know, and my team had changed over the last few years where all the guys that I bowled with for years started having kids and slowly stopped bowling multiple nights and sacrificing and just doing family leagues and Matt, that's what happens when you get old, your friends get kids and <laughs> you know, the fun times, it's like, all right, it's a group of ten, then it's a group of eight, then it's a group of five, yeah. oh, then it's just me. Yeah, it's just I just got <laughs> miserable with it and uh didn't didn't wasn't having fun anymore and I was I could be home with my son or I could be, you know, out running. And instead, I have appointment appointment time for for bowling that that would make me miserable most of the time. <laughs> so I just decided to walk away from it and haven't gone back yet. Uh, what got you into bowling? Because I know you were it was always bowlerdrome. Yeah. It was oh, I mean, like what do you remember? What got you into bowling as a kid? Like what was the first time? Just I, you know, I started bowling when I was five, and I just kind of always was really good at it. 
And, you know, even as an adult, I only like doing things that I'm good at. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still trying to find something I'm good at, so. Yeah, but I don't know. You know, I all through, you know, just as a a real small kid and as a preteen, as a teenager, as a high schooler, I was just always, you know, I could always score and and always uh, was consistent with my average and... And uh, I don't know, it just kind of kind of grew. It was just kind of the thing to do. So I, I bowled from when I was 5 to about 35 <laughs> all the time. And uh, then it kind of ran its course a little bit. But I'm, I, talk, I still have a group chat with uh, a couple of my old buddies. I'm sure you know them. Uh, you know, like Matt Zajac and oh, yeah. Dave Wakeman, Mike Tarana, Chris Kamen, uh, Jason Glasner. We still... We still have a, a group chat that, that we talk about bowling sometimes, and uh, most of those guys aren't bowling very much either, but uh, I'm sure we'll get the band back together one day. Oh, you got to have a reunion tour every yeah, now and then. Yeah. Um, it's funny for me, like I was, um, I was a big-time bowler probably from the fi- time I was uh, about your age, like five, six, um, and then when I got in the high school, just kind of got out of it. My dad was a big bowler, um, so I mean... He he'd pick us up for the weekends. We'd usually go down to uh, Frontier Lanes. Mm. That those were I know Bowladrome was your was your temple. Yep. Frontier Lanes was mine. Um, I mean, we were in bowling. Uh, I think probably like as young as six or seven. We were in the actual bowling leagues. First, you start with the bumpers, and then you. Um, but it for me, it was just. I mean, I was always a decent bowler up until the time I was. Um, probably like seventh, eighth grade. I was, you know, it was decent, like a 185, 195 average, nothing, nothing to write home about, but you know, better than your average bowler. Um, but then for me, it was, I don't know. I just kind of got more involved in the soccer. I think kind of like Matt just, you know, still liked it, but just got into other things. It wasn't, wasn't my thing necessarily. And it was funny for me. I didn't really have a winter sport in high school and bowling obviously was a winter sport, but it never really. I think by that time I had gotten out of it, and by that time too, Niagara Falls team was really good. Yeah. So I mean, if you're if you're only a one seventy one eighty bowler, you're you're not, you know, you're on you're on reserves if you're sure. making the team at all. Yeah, I started getting pretty good in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and then you know with the high school team, I actually joined in seventh grade, made the team, and they only had varsity. Um, and by ninth grade, coach made me a captain, um, you know, and, and we kind of had a group of, of young guys, me, Christy Simone, Joe Luchas, Ryan Govern, that kind of came in and, and took over the team from the seniors, which they, you know, these guys I still know, they, they were not happy. They didn't like us. You guys were the young bloods they coming gave, in. They gave us a hard time. And I just remember freshman year, coach, uh, Coach just said, you know what, I don't really care. You know, if these ninth graders are beating you guys out, they're going to start. Uh, name me and Christy Simone, two of the captains. And uh, we just <laughs> we're, was captain for four years on the team. And, uh, you know, it was our team. And, you know, by when I was 15, I, I, I made states as an individual. Um, so, you know, we had, we had a nice squad. And speaking of Chris DeSimone, DeSimone, if you're listening, I'm calling you out to be on this podcast. I have not talked to that cat in a minute. Um, 
I've got some crazy Chris DeSimone stories, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like Chris DeSimone's life in itself could yeah. be a podcast. I know he's doing really well, uh, doctor, surgeon, like yeah. all kinds of smart. He's big time uh, in the Mayo Clinic. I'm telling you, he's he's doing his thing out there. But Dees, we got to get you on this podcast at some point uh, with your bowling stories. Uh, drama stories. The uh, he was a baseball player too. Did he play high school? I forgot. He did. I think for a little bit. I don't think I'm he sick. played all, all the whole the whole time. But I'm not sure. Um, Matt, Desim- Christy Simone was the kid that. How would you describe him? I'm I'm trying to think. I, I don't want to say like uh, like um, the Animal House uh, John Belushi's character from the Animal House, but it's kind of. <laughs> Kind of pretty close. If you're comparing anybody to animals, <laughs> I can kind of picture what you're talking about. But just uh, yeah, a lot of energy. A lot of energy. The best Simone story that I have, um, we're, and I think you were there for this one. We're, we're at Lasertron, <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, it, this kid was constantly getting kicked out of Lasertron or penalties. <laughs> we're on the same team. All I hear was, all I hear is, Larry, get down. I look behind me. He starts running, sprinting at me. I duck. He puts his hands on my back, (laughs) like leapfrogs into the air and starts shooting his gun, like his Lasertron gun, like to the two people in front of us or whatever. I'm just like, I'm like, what? Like I was on the floor laughing hysterically because I've never seen anybody do anything like that, let alone in Lasertron. (laughs) But he was just that type of guy. Yeah, yeah. Now he's a world. Now he's a world renowned doctor, surgeon. Yeah, he's big time. Um, cardiology, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. I'm he's, telling. He's discovering procedures and all kind of winning awards, but you know he had he was uh, what he got his residency at the Mayo Clinic, which is a big deal. And I then, think he's still and there. Yeah. yeah then he's they, still they, there. They kept him. Yeah. Yeah. No, our our man from Niagara Falls doing big things. Yes, sir. So Christy, Chris, we got to get you on. We got to get you on here. <laughs> um. But yeah, so now uh, talk about states. Like uh, you, you went as a sophomore, mm-hmm. um, and as an individual, so not as a team. So, um, do you felt there was more pressure going as an individual, or? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have my teammates. None of my other teammates. Uh, we we were really good for for quite a few years, and um, unfortunately, that year, um, our team came up a little bit short. Um, I was the highest scoring guy on my team, and uh, to make individuals for Section Six to go to states, it was uh, they they took like the top I think six or five or six scores out of the section, and they became an all star team. So out of each section, uh, one team was represented, and then one all star team of mixed made up of uh, nobody from the team that 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 made it. Um, and then other, you know, five or six others that, that, uh, you know, bowled individually from the other teams and we combined. So it was, it was kind of strange. Um, the only other person from the NFL was a guy named John Lezchek from Grand Island. And he was, uh, I think a year older than me. I didn't really know him all that well, but so, so we, you know, had to go to, to States together and um, I didn't know anybody else on the team except for one guy that that I bowled against. Uh, so everybody else was was a new teammate. It's hard to get you know to to understand how they are or who they are. And um, geez, I'm only 15 years old, 
had to, yeah. had to take a bus. I remember just listening to the listening to my my disc man and <laughs> <laughs> kind of being sad that I was alone and didn't know what was going on and uh, going to a new house and a new city and. Now, did you get a chance to at least practice with them like a, a couple days before the tournament or anything, or was it just? Hey, here you guys are. We'll see you guys in a week from now, whenever state's tournament is. Jeez, I don't. Even, I don't think. I don't think we had a practice together. Um, I, you know, I think that. You know what? I take it back. We did when we got in. I think we got in on like a Friday night. We went to the center that that the that the state tournament was going to be in, and I think they threw us on a lane for like an hour, and we just kind of got loosened up and talked and and uh, you know the the section six representative coach kind of put a lineup of us together and uh and we went out and didn't do super well <laughs> but uh yeah no that was uh that was interesting you know I, I i actually roomed with with john um so that that was at least like i seen the guy twice a year for the last two years um but uh yeah it was a whole new experience and you know just being 15 years old and thinking that my team was good enough to all be there together like we should have been doing this as a team but we had a didn't have a great afternoon at at sectionals um but I was lucky enough to to make it sweet now with with bowling it's um a lot of people don't realize it it's an individual sport obviously but it's still very much a team sport oh yeah um like I know it's uh you've you've got uh either five man bowling some leagues do some uh, leagues do four man or three man. Um, how is what's the difference between, or in your opinion, what's the difference between just bowling individually, like if you're doing a tournament yourself, mm-hmm. versus bowling with your with your team I'm, for high school? Yeah, I definitely much prefer the team aspect of it. You kind of, you know, not only can you can you give a guy advice if you you're bowling with him 33 weeks of the year. You know, the bowling season is grueling. It goes from September to April. You're bowling 33 weeks, and, you know, you're you're with the same guys. You start to understand when they're doing something that, you know, they're making mistakes. They can line you up. They can help you. But also you start feeding on them, right? You know, you're feeding off of them if – if if they're bowling well, you don't want to you don't want to be the guy that's bowling bad to bring the team down. So you know, when one person's going, another one's going. In the same aspect, when one's down, the other three or four can pick them up. Um, you know, and, and it always makes it more fun to cheer for somebody else rather than just slapping your own hand. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. The team bowling's where it's at. And then you bowled in college uh, at Moorhead, right? I did Moorhead State University. I went out there for four years. Now, was it the same? Is it the same format? Is it a five man team out for college? Or yeah, college we we had uh, we had five man in high school. Like uh, we had in the A and B team, the three man like A's, three, three man three, B's. But yep. then tournament time, it would be a five man five man teams yep. uh, in high school. So uh, college were you know obviously all tournaments. Um, five men, usually one, two or three, uh, reserves. And you'd always have to be ready cause they would just, you know, sub you out if you're starting to do lousy. Um, but yeah, the same, same format, a lot of Baker games, uh, which is, you know, the first bowler bowls, the first and sixth, second bowls, second and seventh, third, third and eighth and so on. Um, but, uh, you would always do, uh, a, a a huge block of Baker games, which also brings out the teamwork. You know, you, you don't want to be the guy to have the open before the next guy, or if somebody has 
you know, if the team has worked up three strikes in a row, you don't want to be the one to miss. Um, and it just, uh, so that, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of fun when you guys are really humming. Um, but yeah, college was five man, but the tournaments were much bigger. People were a lot better, um, traveled all over the country, even the world. As I say, where's the, where's the furthest place that you've, you've bowled? Yeah, um, my college team went and bowled Chinese pros in China in Beijing. Um, <laughs> That's my, insane. My freshman year of college, so you know. But the regular tournaments, you know, we would come from Moorhead, Kentucky. We would go, geez, we went as far east as we bowled in like uh, Atlantic City in Philly uh, or Raleigh, um, and we did Vegas, um, you know, St. Louis, Chicago. We would go all over the place. Uh, you know, we had about 15, 15 weeks a year, um, 15 tournaments a year, plus sections, plus uh, the intramural championships, plus nationals. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, now, one thing, and, and I, like I said, I used to bowl. I actually used to coach bowling at Ken West for a couple of years. I know there were times I'd call you up for advice. Yeah. Um, did it ever... Did it ever piss you off when you hear people saying, well, bowling's not a real sport? Well, bowling's only, you know, you well, all right, you're you're a bowler. You're not really an athlete. Yeah. Like, did it ever really piss you off? Because I know even coaching, they'd be like, well, you just coach bowling. Mm-hmm. You don't really need to know anything about that. It did, you know. I mean, because people, people think because they can just go pick up a lane ball, whip it down the middle, might have a good game every now and then. They have no idea about lane conditions. They have no idea about tournament conditions. They have... No idea about consistency, you know. In league bowling, I might not—I might not have been always the guy that, that got the honor scores, but I'd be the guy that would be around two ten anywhere I wanted to go bowling. You know, uh, I could go to a different house, read the lanes, bowl, bowl consistently, and consistency is important um, in any sport. So yeah, it, it would be a little annoying because you know there is there is just some dummy that can pick up the ball, whip it down the middle, and they've bowled a 200 before. They're like, look, I got a turkey. This is easy. But, but I'm yeah, going pro. Try it with, like, negative oil units on different boards across the entire lane and then tell me there isn't some strategy and, and skill involved. Um, but, yeah, and like you said, and now, I mean, you have the synthetic lane. You have the uh, the old wood lanes. Mm-hmm. That's why I love that when we were over at Manor, they were one of the few houses left that still has just the regular wood lane. So yeah. for us, it was a huge, huge house advantage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the the oil absorbs differently on different uh, surfaces. You know, it depends on the equipment that they have that they can, you know, these oil machines now, you know, if you look down on the lane, there's little tiny like one-inch boards all the way across. These oil machines have the ability to do, uh, you know, forward oil, reverse oil, different units on each board. So, you know, they can create out-of-bounds where, you know, they flood the outside of the lane with, with more oil. So if you your ball somehow makes it one board right of where you want to put it. It's just going to skid down or even dump right in the gutter. You know, there's there's some intense patterns out there. That... And you've got to know how to play every single one of them because, like you said, if you don't if you don't know how to read those boards, if you don't know how to pick up and find your line by the time you usually get what um, I know in high school last when I left it was you would get 10 minutes of warm-up. Yep, and if yep. you couldn't find your line in 10 minutes of warm-up, well, you, you better find it pretty quickly after or you're toast. Some tournaments, uh, we'd be lucky to get two frames on each lane. 
uh, before we got started. And uh, yeah, that's you. You gotta if if you're throwing if if you're, you're comfortable in one area of the lane and that that part of the lane is out of bounds, you gotta you gotta recognize it very quickly, or your game can fall apart immediately. Oh, absolutely. Now, were you like a were you guys uh, one of those bowlers with like the big hook on there? Did you have like the huge backswing? Were you a pretty conservative? Like I'm just find my line and let it ride in there. What type of bowler were you? Yeah, I was. Um, I didn't. I never had the big hook. You know, I, I was able to 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 be able to do it if I needed to. Um, but no, I was more. I was more of a down and straight with a nice little hook at the back end. That was that was as much as I could do. And you know, if uh, the lanes got so they were hooking a lot, I would just move my feet left, get the ball further out right, and let the ball come back in. But you know, I, I started and now I got really good. Was just going straight down the gutter, and and perfectly curve it in, into the pocket. But uh, that that shot you quickly find out in college isn't isn't always there. So yeah. I had to, I had to do a lot of learning um, in college. What do you think? What are your thoughts on the uh, the guys that go out there two handed? You know, get the big like. What's your? I know some bowlers yeah. don't care for it. Some bowlers absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on the on the two hander bowlers? You know, it's they've certainly changed the game. You got a guy like Jason Belmonte that's that's out there, you know, one of the best to ever do it now, and and he's got you know he uses two hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a ton of more pros now. You know, I haven't really been watching a whole lot of the pros, but there's quite a few two handers out there. Um, they've changed the game. They've gotten. They've gotten it so now. I just found out. I don't even know if any of my equipment will be valid, like because you can't use a weight hole anymore. Um, yeah. And but now, and they, I guess they changed the the rules too for two handed bowlers. That any if if you have a hole on your ball, your finger has to go into it. I, I just found that out really the other day. So so like, people are the two handers now have to throw like nothing's drilled on the ball. Yeah. So if oh, wow. so they they if they have fingertips on it and. In a thumb hole, they have to they have to put their fingers and thumb while they spin. While they spin it with two hands, and I mean a lot of the two handed bowlers I think do without a thumb hole. Yeah, yeah, they just use the fingertips to be able to get the good grip out of the ball. Um, but yeah, I found out that they're not even allowed to have a thumb hole if they don't use it. <laughs> it's just and, insane. Yeah, and there's no more side weight of allowed because of these huge hooks and. Jeez. And uh, you know the the ball has to measure out like level and even. I don't even know if any of my old equipment have, you know, or, or have any that don't have a weight hole in it. Well, that was the one thing that was always funny with. Uh, anytime I'd get, I coached bowling at West for four years, five years, mm-hmm. um, and I anytime I'd get like a newer bowler or a young kid to the team who was little inexperienced, his first question or her first question would always be. How do I get a big hook? How do I get a big hook? I need that huge backswing, and I need yeah. that. Like, don't worry about that. Let's just look at getting you the basics. Yeah. Let's just look at line getting your steps right, getting your you know form right. No, I want to have that big hook. I want to have. I saw this guy on TV, and he made it go from like almost falling off the gutter to all of a sudden snapping in and getting a strike, and he did it every single time. And that's fun. But, uh, you know, again, consistency in bowling is the most important. Hitting the exact same spot, having the exact same, you know, uh, 
backswing, having being able to put the ball exactly where you want it every single time. If you have an honor score, that usually means that you hit the same spot or you adjust it as the, as the lane changed. But if, if you're wild with it and it's un, un, uncontrollable, it's kind of hard to stay consistent. Yeah. Do you want speed or accuracy? Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's – so I know you were, you know, tennis player, baseball player as well. Do you think there was more um, – what's your take on more of like an individual sport than more of like a team sport, like baseball? Like I know you were a baseball player. Um, did you find more of uh, – did you find it more enjoyable to have that, that individual aspect of bowling or maybe where it's only like a group of four or five guys or where it's like a bigger team like in baseball where you got – you know, you've got nine starting and, you know, you've got a, a bench full of backups. You know, what was your take on more of a team versus individual? You know, what? I, I've always been more of a team person. Um, you know, tennis, baseball, I loved, loved the teams, uh, bowling. You know, it, it didn't really matter the size, right? Because uh, you have your core guys. You know, you get you get to spend all your time with them. You know, when you're when you're doing the same exact thing over and over again, and and you you, you build that camaraderie, um, so much so that even though running is an individual sport, um, I, you know, put together. You know, started with a couple people a, a run club, and uh, we're out there, and we feel like we're running as a team. Some people, even though running is obviously a completely individual sport. Um, you know, I I, I kind of gravitated towards you know the the running community more than than caring about you know what my five k time is right. You know, it's about meeting up with the people and being at the same races with the same group of people and you know seeing people out there and cheering them on and you know rooting for everybody. It's just kind of you, you create even even in the individual sport, I, I kind of created a team mentality. Absolutely. I think it's because you definitely get that athlete. And I've had athletes even for soccer where they're just more out there. Hey, I'm going to get my goals. I'm going to be the diva of the team. I'm going to get this. Um, so it's it's funny. You definitely have your athletes where they're more of, hey, this is all about me mm-hmm. or more of, hey, this is all about this is us. Yeah. You know, this is a family. Um, so it's really cool. And back in the tennis days, I know we played together in tennis. Yeah. Did we ever play on a doubles team together? I can't remember if we did. I think we might have for think, one match. I think we did. Um, maybe my sophomore. When would it have been? I, I maybe my junior year, your senior year. I think I th- something I think, like that. I think that. we played first doubles a couple times. I think together. we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, Matt. I don't know if you. I, I was a tennis player. Well, I guess. Larry could get to every single ball. I could I could get to the ball. <laughs> you you put a ball in that court, I could run it run it down. Yeah. Was I always consistent on making the best shot? Mm, like 60-40, 50-50, 40-60. Larry got good. Larry was good at tennis, but he he like he said, he he could get to all of them, man. He had these these weird shuffling feet. He could just he can get to any part of the court. Um but yeah, sometimes he would just take this weird spin or try to hit it between his legs just to just to touch <laughs> just to touch the ball i mean he would get there um but no larry larry was a good tennis player i think i always tried for whatever reason i always tried to put a whole bottle of slice on it yeah. like i just i maybe because you, did slice. It's, you I, did slice it a lot but a lot of times it wouldn't reach the net 
<laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to get it over. But for tennis, I liked, like, there were a couple times towards the end of the season, um, I got a chance to play third singles. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in tennis, for tennis, for high school tennis, for those of you guys who don't know, it's usually your top three players are your number one singles, number two singles, number three singles. Mm-hmm. Then you have a first doubles and a second doubles. That's all your varsity scoring for the matches. And obviously, whoever wins um, three games uh, out of five, your team will take the the match. Um, the few times that I did, I think I played three times up in third singles, wasn't necessarily because I was the third best player on the team. In <laughs> fact, not necessarily. I wasn't the <laughs> third best player on the on the team. But sometimes you'd get coaches or you'd get teams where, hey, we're going to – we know we're playing against a good team. We're going to stack our doubles teams to win, those two, to win those two points, keep our number one guy in number one to hopefully get a point and kind of sacrifice yeah. you know some of the doubles or vice versa. So it was all about stacking your lineups different ways. Yeah, we had some good teams, though. I mean, that one year – what year it was, was it? The I, one year was Mark was Mark, Mark and, and Jared. Jared was first singles. Jared Harshman first. was out there. J- That's the guy. Jason uh, Harshman. Jason Harshman. I couldn't think Jordan of his name. Jordan was on the team, I think, when we first yeah. played. I knew Jared uh, Harshman and, and Mark were battling mm-hmm. for one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was at a point where Mark was better than him. but uh, Jared was always one. And then... then- <laughs> Jared was one, but Mark was better than him, and I don't. I think it was was it Getz at the time. Um, I forgot who the name of the coach was. I think it was yeah, Getz, yeah, Mr. Getz, who uh, he didn't. Even though I think Mark was better, he didn't want to put Mark above Jared because he yeah. knew Jared wouldn't take it very well. Yeah, I don't know, man. Jared was tough. Jared was tough, but um, then Mark, you had Mark was very good. But then, yeah, then me, you had the maze. Yep, yep. And Yudi and I played second doubles the one year, and we went. We made all league that year. We we didn't lose this. We only I was lost, gonna say we only lost the one match against Nichols, and they didn't. They shouldn't even have really counted. They were just a bunch of uh, you know rich kids, <laughs> rich kids that, that, <laughs> not in the league anymore. <laughs> that, that, that were that like were recruited so, so good at tennis because they grew up with a tennis racket in their hand. Meanwhile. I only started playing tennis in like ninth grade because you guys all played tennis, and that's what we did in the summers. But uh, yeah, Udi and I, we we made all league for uh, for the NFL that year. We just lost that one match, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, and then I know Rob and Mark went on to play college. Um, Mark played one year. Canisius. Rob played, I think, all four. Um, then uh, Ronnie Anderson, yeah, who was. Uh, Ronnie, you know, Ronnie had some game. Ronnie was the only time, the biggest thing that would beat Ronnie would was Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, would, Ronnie, I love you, baby. But you're too hard on yourself a lot of times. Yeah. He, he would just, he'd hit a bad shot and then he'd be like fuming about that bad shot. Ronnie doesn't like to fail. I mean, it was the same with baseball. I played baseball with him growing up and it was the same playing playing video games nintendo 64 in my parents house with them matt were you a big uh video or are you a big video gamer oh 100 it gets nasty i was gonna say did you ever have those did you ever have those that group of friends that would like next thing you know tvs are getting broken controllers are getting broken i still do we had we played fifa tournaments and me and my other friend are the only ones they won't chris you've met chris yeah, yeah. Me and him are the only two that get competitive, and we borderline almost choked each other out <laughs> because of a disagreement over some kind of FIFA call. And 
It, so yeah, it gets pretty nasty, and I think it's just a guy's thing, really. Yeah. Listen, there were. I mean, we would play everything from Bond to uh, Mario Kart mm-hmm. to uh, NHL Wave Runner, Wave, oh, wave Racer, I Wave think. Wave Runner. No, you're <laughs> right; it was Wave Runner, I believe. Um, and we usually play at our buddy Ronnie Anderson's house. No, no, we play at my house. We play at your house, but then also Ronnie. Oh no, well. Yeah, because remember, there were a couple times where Ronnie's mom would come downstairs and be like, listen, everybody's sleeping because it's 10, 11, whatever, 12 at night. But between either Tice and Ronnie's house, there were times where we'd have to stop playing. Or the only reason we stopped playing is because somebody smashed a controller Mm -hmm. or we were getting kicked out for being of somebody's house from being too loud. Or or my dad's alarm went off at four or five in the morning and we were still playing. There'd be times where we would miss school the next day. Really? Because we were like, <laughs> yeah. like, damn it, it's five in the morning. I don't, I don't want to go to school. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. Or we'd we'd pretend to go and we just wouldn't. <laughs> we'd stop at market side. Yep. Oh, um, but yeah, Ronnie was usually the guy who would. Uh, in fact, was you had to have been there where he took his controller into his backyard and just proceeded to smash it on the concrete over mm-hmm. and over. Yeah, I remember that. Or either that or we'd be playing and I'd lose my temper and go after somebody or the one night where it was Mitro's birthday and we purposely stayed till midnight at Mitro's <laughs> birthday yeah. and uh, everybody had to get their hits in while I'm holding Mitro on the ground. Is that when we almost knocked over the fish tank? I believe so. <laughs> I remember I had I don't know what I hold I had Mitro in where I'm holding him on the ground so everybody can and he couldn't get out and you're sitting I'm like dude hit him get your hits at and you're like no I don't want him. like listen I'm gonna let him go and <laughs> the lover not a fighter <laughs> uh, the old high school days yeah but yeah video games got uh, I don't know why well like why do guys get so who knows bro like is it just a competition thing is it just is it like why we get you know, so competitive in sports, it's kind of carries over. I mean, I think part of it could be competitive wise. It depends on the game too. I have two friends that don't play sports games at all. So like their games, I remember during like the pandemic, we played like GTA or something and we'd play golf in GTA. You know, what else would college guys <laughs> do in a game full of like, no. Nah, and like, we would like low key, just like do color commentary and piss our friend off because you can't deal with that. I don't know. It's just like video games and dudes don't connect. Yeah, I, I kind of retired from video games too. <laughs> I was gonna say, I very rarely do. I'll go, but it's it's funny. I'll go on like I won't play, I won't play video games for like months, a year. Then I'll play for like like I'll pick up Madden or NHL. Those are really the only two games I play anymore. Yeah. I'll play it for like maybe three weeks, and then I won't touch it for like another like months or years at a time. Um, so it's. I feel like sometimes just when I pick up the controller, I'm like reliving my old days and I'm like, yeah, eh. I feel like I need to hit something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, nowadays, I mean, violent. even there are times where I'll turn on my Xbox and I want to play just because the mood striking me. But no, I got to wait 20 minutes for an update to oh. come in or it's this or it's that. I'm like, eh, so that I, don't, was never, I don't need that. That was never my world. I never had to go through the whole update thing. I. You know, I had the. I think I was the first person to get the Nintendo 64 because I used all my paper out money. <laughs> and then, uh, then we would just play at my house all the time, and you know, and then uh, then I never grew kind of out of Nintendo 64 in college. 
you know, undergrad, I bought a PS2, and the only games I would buy, and this was only like three or four years, I, I had the Madden and the NCAA football. Those are the only two games I owned. I owned like three different years of each one, and uh, yeah, I never graduated to a PS3 or 4 or 5 or never. I've actually never physically played an Xbox. Really? In any form. I don't even know if... Are they not missing much. Yeah, yeah. I remember I got the Xbox, um, and I used it mostly as that was my DVD player, my Blu-ray player. You know, I'd use it to stream stuff. Um, And, I mean, I'd play the occasional video game. But it was just, for me, the only two video games I ever, I mean, for the longest time, have ever bought was Madden and NHL. Okay. I would buy the football, the the NCAA's, but then they just stopped making it. Yeah, oh, did they? They stopped making it. Apparently, it's coming back next year or soon because of the whole name, image, and oh, likeness that's thing. Right. They can pay these, so kids they can now. pay the kids now. Yeah, um, yeah, but before it was just they would make up last names or yeah. whoever. It would just be like numbers. I remember. Yeah, yeah, and then but the kids, like the people, they would be like the same. Like you'd play. Yeah, you knew who it was. Like. like no. You yeah. knew it was uh, Tom Brady or whoever back in college in those days, but yeah. it wasn't. You no. Know, those... Instead of Tom Brady, it was like Tim Brody. Yeah. <laughs> Brady Tom. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, I, I love video games. And now, I mean, now it's crazy because video games are actually a sport. Like, they've got coaches yeah, for video games. Esports, um, which I think is absolutely insane. But I... To this day, I wonder if when we were kids, would we be getting, would we be esport athletes? Because um, I hate to say it, I, I, I don't know. I may have been, I may have been an esport athlete back in the day, or I might have been willing to, yeah, go in that direction. Go in that direction, even though I was always out playing sports, always out love doing things, but. Yeah. Yeah, these kids now, I mean, these there's like millionaires that just play video games while other kids watch them play video games. Yeah. Like my nephews, they watch videos of other kids playing video games. I do that. And you do that? Do you, you really? Watch those feeds things? I, well, I don't watch... What are they, I, Twitch or whatever? Yeah, I don't watch them necessarily. For My one buddy is a big like Apex Legend kind of person, and he watches people actually play it for the gameplay. I watch it for the people's reactions. Okay. So like, I like to watch people like really freak out and rage on stuff. I don't watch it for the actual gameplay, but I know. It was wild. The first time I ever I saw that, first I, it was like I felt like an old curmudgeon because i'm like <laughs> in my day i'm like sitting i'm sitting at my my aunt's house and my my nephews and they're all just sitting there in a row with their ipads and i'm like what are you guys doing come outside let's let's throw the football let's you know kick a ball what are you guys doing and then i look and they're watching youtube videos of other people playing video games so they weren't even playing video games they were watching other people play video games, and it kind of blew my mind. It was it was just a yeah. bizarre thing. But yeah, you get people that are oh man, I got to try that strategy. Like I've never watched these videos, but if I did, I'd be the one. I'd be watching it to see, like you said, to see the reaction yeah. of the people, just to see. Or I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When we were playing video games, I'm sure there'd be some, some funny yeah. videos 
Yeah. <laughs> um, we we could have made millions off of yeah. some of our videos for watching watching us play video games. Well, people get up and tackle each other. <laughs> yeah, that was just we needed a hidden camera. Oh, them telling you we could have been millionaires. Yeah. We could have been retired now doing a podcast. <laughs> all right, but um all right, Tice, we're we're it's time. We're gonna put you on the hot seat here. We've Ooh. got five hot seat questions. Oh jeez. Um we study. Well, we're, we we think long and hard about these questions. I know I've I've had these questions in my head for I don't know the last two minutes that I thought <laughs> about them. Uh, Matt, do you want to go first or should I go first here? I can go first. All right, Matt. What's your hot seat question? What famous? Well, we'll just stick with like the football because we all like football here. What famous football, um, like retired or present player, would you want to like sit down and have a conversation with, and why? Oh man. Ooh. That's a really good one. Um Matt, do you have an answer for that? Well we think of one here. Yeah, Richard Sherman. Really? Yeah. Why Sherman? Uh, number one, he was my favorite player. And number two, I just think he's so like loud and full of himself that I'd love just to hear what he would say. Okay. All right, fair enough. And after that NFC championship uh interview with the poor lady like interviewing him after he blocked that pass to Crabtree and he just starts going oh, off on yeah. pure nothing. I was like, I want to <laughs> sit down and talk to this man. Richard Sherman. See, see now I am an anti Richard Sherman guy because I'm an Oregon Ducks guy. Oh, fair. And he was, you know, the Stanford Cardinal. So I, I, I didn't like him in college either. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. I, you know what? I, I've been very lucky. I've met some pretty cool people. Um, I, I met Marshawn Lynch. Um, Beast mode. He did. He's going to be in town. Is he for the Indianapolis game? He got his, really. Wow, that's cool. I'm going to have to look out for him. But I, I got to. I was working for a company. We did his LASIK surgery, and he used to come in. So I had a few conversations with Marshawn, or else I probably would have picked Marshawn. Uh, you know, getting to meet Jim Kelly and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas is always yeah. pretty cool. But I don't know. I, you know, I I, I think uh, Peyton Manning would probably. Be be the you know the most fun to to sit down and have a conversation with just because he's he's so intelligent and he has got a great character and and uh, he's he's a lot of fun to watch. Same kind of kind of a la Tony Romo, um, you know would be would be fun as well. Um, but I always my favorite college player ever. Uh, didn't translate super well the NFL. I'd still love to have a sit down with Marcus Mariota. He's kind of like my. My okay. my back fo- in the duck my days. football like man crush. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Um, I'm gonna go. Kind of torn between two players. Um, I, think I know one of them. Who who do you think you know? One has to be Bruce Smith. I was gonna say Bruce Smith, but I'm like, you know what? Let me be. Uh, I don't want to be the homer on the Bills or whatever. And I I did. Well, I don't know if you have a conversation with him, but he was at the Jim Kelly camp the one year, so I did. Yeah. I guess talk to him. Um, but he was definitely my one of my top three. Uh, I'm going to go either between Deion Sanders and Michael Irvin. Uh, Michael Irvin, he pops into my mind just because he's been on WGR a couple times uh, with Chope and the Bulldog, talking with them. I don't know. He just sounds like the type of guy who'd be really just cool to hang out with, probably have the time of your life, whether it's you know going out to a club or in a limo or in a bar or whatever. Um, just seems like the life of a party guy. And same thing with Dion. Um, I don't know. It just seems like those two guys would not only be very knowledgeable about the sport where you could pick your brain and they genuinely seem like they'd be interested to talk to you, but also 
they're going to go out, hey, let's let's go out and let's let's throw down. Let's have a good time. Let's let's, you know, live it up. Let's party. So <laughs> I, I'm going to say Michael Irvin. I, I'd say Michael Irvin. All right. Irvin's Irvin. That's a good that's a good one there. Yeah. I, I tend to have good ideas every now and then. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my question, uh, a hot seat question here. If you could start your own business, uh, what would it be? Oh, geez. My own business. If you could start your own business. You know what? I, and I, I used to do um, uh, music-related stuff, uh, you know, promotion. That was with the, the Tystar stuff, Tystar, right? Tystar, Tystar Entertainment. And I was going to ask if you still did that or not. I wasn't sure. No, I retired from that, too. I seem to retire from a Is lot that- of things. But, um, no, I used to be able to, to make some decent money, you know, just um, – you know, setting up parties and and doing you know events and and charity events and big concerts and all kinds of fun stuff. And there was a moment in time where I thought I could like cultivate that a little bit, um, but the the effort compared to the payout wasn't always the best. So you know, I, I gave that up a few years ago. But um, I think that I might be bringing a crit, my Chris Fest, my big festival, back next year. So a little, some sort of promoter or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All I right. think, but I think that that would be that would be it, right? You know, because uh, it was always it was always a good time. You know, like even even I mean, bigger names would have been a lot of fun, right? But but I was able to put on an event, pay my friends to play music, be able to sit there and get you know a couple free beers. And watch my friends play music while we both got paid for it. That's fair. Yeah. So, you know, if there was a way that I could have turned that into, you know, some M&T bank salary kind of money <laughs> stuff, you know, that would have been pretty neat. I love it. For me, it would be, um, I guess, like a sports agency okay. type of deal. Um, you know, I thought for me, the you know, just a natural fit of my love for sports, um, being around the uh, the athletes all that stuff and um you know negotiating little salaries doing all that stuff getting them different gigs so for me i guess you know uh owning my own sports agency that's i don't great. know if that started a business or whatever but no, that's my answer and i'm staying with it it is i got a buddy that's uh living that dream right now man he, he lives uh, he lives in louisville he started uh like the day that it went down he had the whole company in line i he had already had a big promotion company, and 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 uh, he was the voice of the Louisville Cardinals basketball team, and, sweet, and and all kinds of stuff. But he started a uh, he has like college agents now, um, uh, he, with the whole name image likeness. Yep, the day that it came, the day that the 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 law came out, he's he launched the company, and he already had like the best Louisville you know, basketball player and football players and already like ready to sign contracts. Um, So he's living that dream, man. I can get you a conversation with him. Listen, (laughs) hey, I'm ready. Bring it on. I'm ready. I'm looking for a career change. Joey Wagner. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt. Um, My girlfriend wants to open up a restaurant. I want to open up a tattoo parlor in the restaurant just so I can call it Tots and Tats. Tots Ah. and Tats. I, listen, that should be a business. If I don't see that as a business in like the next couple of years, I'm jumping on it. That should be a business. Like that would be amazing. Just, just for the tagline. It does sound like a nightmare for uh, you know the health board. <laughs> yeah, you know. Table four is bleeding. <laughs> 
with every like food you get like a certain type of tattoo you can get. I like it. That's that's a great somebody's gonna steal that while listening to this podcast. I better Absolutely. patent that like yeah. soon. I don't know. All right, Matt, give us another hot seat question over there. Um All right, so you know, like if you've ever been to like a, a IHOP or whatever, and like they give you like different types of syrup. Out of those syrups, which do you think is the most nasty? The most nasty? Yeah. Like, like which one do you think was like the most impractical that you'd put on like pancakes or whatever you got? You know what? I don't know if they had this at IHOP, but uh, I went to a, a, a breakfast place recently, and it was like an apple, uh, apple cinnamon syrup or whatever. And just the name alone, I thought it was going to be delicious. It was disgusting. Like it was, I was so I almost went. It was almost to the point where I were like, "Can I just get some different pancakes?" Mm-hmm. Like to get the, it was just disgusting. That's so unfortunate. So apple, apple, cinnamon, whatever syrup it was, just yeah, eh. yeah. For me, I I went to this one place in Eastern Kentucky, and I thought. I thought it was syrup, so I, I'm not. I don't think I'm familiar with like the the groupings of syrups at like IHOP and stuff. Maybe I haven't gone enough, but I do remember I went to a pra- a place. So we were always at Denny's. Yeah, Denny's people. Yeah, or Denny's and Perkins. <laughs> Perkins, <laughs> Suskins. Yeah. But we would. I, I went and I opened this thing and I thought it was syrup. I'm drowning it, and it was like it was like molasses. Oh, and I was just. I just remember just ruining my plate of. My plate of pancakes, and I was probably, you know, it was probably after a night out, and uh, yeah, I wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, it was really sad. Matt, what about you? I'm probably just gonna go with like blueberry or that boysenberry or whatever it is, because like I don't, I don't know what boysenberry is or whatever, like because that just sounds nasty. And blueberry, I'm not a big fan of blueberries, anyways. So just something like that. If they had strawberry syrup. I feel like that might uh, <laughs> strawberry syrup sounds good. Like like strawberry syrup might actually be a good thing. Yeah, blueberry syrup with blueberry pancakes would probably be way overload. Uh, yeah, a little little too much blueberry. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think this is number four. So we got yeah. two more. I think it's number four. So we're gonna keep with the 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 syrup or breakfast theme. Favorite breakfast uh, meal, I guess. Favorite breakfast like dish for me. Um, I gotta have bacon. I don't care what I don't care what type of breakfast I'm having. If there's bacon on that plate, it's delicious for me. It's my favorite breakfast meal or breakfast item. Bacon, a hundred percent. My doctor might not think so, but for me, it's bacon. <laughs> I'll say bacon. Easy I'll bacon. Go. Bacon. See, you know what? Me, I make everything into a sandwich. I'll get a. I can get an omelet, and if I get an omelet, it's usually ham. And like mozzarella cheese, if they if they have that. But I I if it doesn't come with toast, I I ask for toast, and I make a a, a breakfast sandwich with that omelet. Uh, or I order a regular breakfast, I turn everything into a sandwich. Um, so breakfast sandwich by far is my number one thing, and and it's a bad vice of mine. I could. I could eat a breakfast sandwich for every meal of the day. When I'm trying to lose weight, I cut out breakfast sandwiches. Um, it's breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, just, I just like breakfast sandwiches. I, I'm a big fan of this breakfast sandwiches too. Although for me for breakfast, I like just mixing everything on the plate. and Almost like uh, – remember those garbage plates? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more of a big fan of the garbage plates. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. But 
for me, though, it's got to be bacon. All right, Matt, do you have one one last one for us? One last question. One last question for us. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> I think I said that one already, but I'm going with it again. Coke or Pepsi? Is there a difference? I, I'm actually I'm going to say Coke. I, I I don't know. Yeah. So that question is there is a difference if you picked there, one. There is a difference, yeah. I guess. I we're we're always a diet. We're always a Coke family, whether it's Coke or Diet Coke. Um, I guess there is a difference. Sometimes I think Pepsi might be a little sweeter or whatever, but yeah. I'm not a fan of either. I'm more of a root beer type of guy. Yeah. Right. You like the bark. <laughs> I, I like I like the A and Dubs. A and W root beer. Um but no, I uh if I had to choose Coke or Pepsi, I'm taking Coke. And it seems like Pepsi's gotten a little more popular. I love Pepsi. But I'm taking Coke. Pepsi has so many ab- like other types. Coke, True. Coke probably does too. Coke has <laughs> Coke has that Coke coffee, which tastes cr- like crap. Okay, I've never had it. Is it's it's not good. You open it and you expect to taste Coke, and then you get the aftertaste of coffee, and it's nasty. Oh man! See, I, I've never been a pop guy. I I um I don't have any in my house. The only thing I ever used to drink pop with was. Was whiskey, and then my <laughs> then, say, a little mixer. Then, then my palate got better, and I and I, you know, when I first was losing weight, I, I was like, well, I like the just the regular taste of bourbon. Um, <laughs> so so like just... out, I would I said, let me try it with water. So I would drink I would drink bourbon and water with a lime, and then really I was good. and I was like, you know what, I don't need pop at all anymore if I don't have to have ginger ale in my in my uh, you know my whiskey. So yeah, no, I, I, you know, honestly, there is the frozen Coke from Burger King. Mm-hmm. There's like three or four times a summer I have to go through the drive-through and get a frozen Coke. So I guess if if I had to choose between the two, it, it would be Coke. <laughs> a Coke only if it's frozen. Though. Only yeah, the frozen Coke. <laughs> I, I I would I I never find myself in a place where I'm just like, you know, anybody want to drink? Yeah, I'll have a pop. <laughs> See, I was always there. a big pop guy. Yeah, still am a big pop guy. I still am a big pop. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to cut down. I'm, I went one. I remember the one year I went one whole year with no pop of any kind. Was just more of a water, and like I was in the best. I felt the best mm-hmm. of my life. Which mm-hmm. dummy, I should go back to like cutting a, out pop. Like a sign. Yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty remember, much. I remember you came over what last year and. I got you a couple two liters A and W, and you left a half of one, and the thing stayed in there, <laughs> stayed in there, stayed in there. Until I'm I surprised did. I left a half of one. <laughs> yeah, but all right, we're gonna end things there. Tice, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got this to come out. We're yeah. gonna, and we got to get you to come out again. Um, and D Simone, I'm still coming. I'm still calling you out. We're gonna call you out on Zoom. Um, we're gonna get you out here. But thanks again. Um, anything you want to plug before we before we take off here? No, just uh, support, you know what, yeah, support your local stores, support your local restaurants, you know, check out Rock Burger and, and check out Bolify and run run a local 5K, check out Race Management Solutions and score this. They both put on great, great races and, yeah, just support local any, any way you can. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, any words before we leave? Go Bills. <laughs> go Bills, of go, course. Go Bills. Um, thank you guys again. Uh, this was another exciting episode. Uh, I'm Coach Larry, and that's all the time we have for Stories from the Sidelines. And we'll see you guys next week. Cam, you want to say anything before we go, Cam? 
Hi, I am Cameron Matice, and I hope you all have a great time. <laughs> Absolutely. What better way to send it out? Thanks, Cam. And we'll see everyone later on Stories from the Sidelines.